You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Today, it's kind of a twist. We're in John chapter 8, and it's not an individual, it's a group that seems a little elusive, but they've got quite the group think going on. Have you noticed groupthink these days? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we, it is, uh, he describes them as the Jews who would believe in him or were starting to believe in him. And then they kind of hold rank as Jesus says these things, form together, have the circular, wait a minute, and they, they just don't even think for themselves anymore. It's just the group. And we're going to be dealing with that today, that group think. And, but I want to bring up a couple of things. First of all, again, we mentioned the hangout today, uh, 5 to, to 8. We'd love to have you join us. Um, it's a lot of fun. It is so much fun. And it's our chance to be in fellowship with each other. One thing that I don't have on the slides today is we've got Alex here today. Alex, you want to stand up just for a moment? So today he is asked. He's going to be baptized this afternoon at 2 o'clock, right? And he wants... Uh, uh, it's going to be a high-intensity uh, risk baptism because we're going to do it in fresh water. He wanted it, and so it's going to be at the University Lake on the campus, and just praying no alligators are close. Okay, Alex, we're looking 2 o'clock, so if you want to come out to the campus, it's near Alico Arena. It's where they've got, they, for students, it's where you can rent um, paddle boards and stuff. There's like a swimming area, and just... Pray off the alligators today. Although, let me tell you, that would go viral if all of a sudden we're baptizing and there's an alligator swimming right next to You hardly ever see them there, though, okay? But that's what they said about the Disney lakes, right? So, <laughs> sorry. That's not a good joke. I'm sorry. That's not trying to treat anything. Alex, thank you so much. You can sit down now, but it's great to have you here this morning. And uh, let's go out and support him as he uh, moves into that direction, okay? So <clears throat> Jesus is going to read, uh, we're going to read this in John chapter 8. You can follow along, by the way, in the U version of the Bible. There are notes to all of this um, and uh, this message and all, so you can follow along there. And we read in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father, that, that, the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came 
not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Ooh. It's a little harsher than, I think, you know, just hearing that line, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We tend to use that out of context. Uh, so um, I was reading an article by Mark Lilla. He, was a he is a professor at Columbia University in New York. And in 2005, he wrote in the New York Times a piece entitled this, Getting Religion, My Long Lost Years as a Teenage Evangelical. Okay? And in it, <clears throat> he shares how he came from a broken home, a Roman Catholic background, but during his high school years, he uh, got involved in the Jesus movement of his day, having had his own conversion experience to the gospel. But after dabbling in it for a while, he fell out of it. And then he came back to a Billy Graham crusade that was happening, I think, in New York City in 2000 or so, and saw it from a different perspective of someone from the outside looking in. And the reason why he fell out of the faith, as he put it, is because he didn't want to identify himself as a person who was insufficient, dependent on someone outside of himself. He'd rather ultimately stake his own identity on his personal freedom. So this is what he wrote, and you see this quote up here. He said, one thing Jesus seems to be telling Nicodemus. Now, this, of course, is in John 3, and we talked about Nicodemus before. But I think you can say the same things about the, the uh, people he's talking with, Jesus is talking with in John 8, is that he must recognize his own insufficiency, that he will have to turn his back on his autonomous, seemingly happy life and be reborn as a human being who understands his dependency on something greater. He must increase, but I must decrease. That seems a radical challenge to our freedom, and it is. Yes, it is. Um, what is freedom? The real question I think Mark Lilla is asking and one that people have answered different ways is this. Does Christianity following Jesus provide a straitjacket, a conformist restraint so that you get stuck in this? Or does Christianity provide real freedom and the fullness of what that word means? Now, I wouldn't be a pastor if I didn't think it provided real freedom, but we've got to figure out what we mean even by the word freedom. Because today's word, the way that we banter it about in our society, how the world understands it, might not be the best definition, by the way. So today, from John 8, we're going to be studying these three things. The definition of freedom, what Jesus does to free us, and how to live in your freed identity not that you have a free identity, but a freed identity. So we're going to look at the definition of freedom. And this is what Jesus said. And you heard this at the beginning. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But the people respond, we are 
offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say you will become free? We're already free, they said. Why would we need you to do anything? Now, a lot of people in the United States would probably agree. We're the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? And uh, <clears throat> we don't need someone to free us. We already are. We're born free, as free as the wind blows. Do you know that one? Do you remember that one? Some of you do. I am so dated. What was that? 80s, 70s? That whole... About a, it's old. It's old. Yeah. In John's gospel, there's a little irony around a lot of different points, and you don't always see it. And this is one of those cases, because <laughs> we're, we're as children of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone is actually an ironic statement, because honestly, their history has been one of slavery. Um, they were slaves in Egypt for 450 years. Doesn't that count? And not only then, they were slaves or under control of the Babylonians for 70 years, stuck out of their land. Does I forget about that? And when they came back to the land in 516 BC, they were never in charge of their property ever again, to the point where they were under the Persians, then the Greeks, and then the Romans. What are they talking about? Even if you look at the idea of political freedom, they were not free at the time of Jesus. But they still group think, we're free. Why do you need to tell us, you know, we're fine. And how do they define freedom? How do we define freedom? Um, <clears throat> Isaiah Berlin, he's a philosopher, and in 2003, he wrote a piece that talked about two types of liberty or freedom. And I think often in our society right now, we only think of the one side of the issue. He wrote this, negative liberty is the absence of obstacles, barriers, or constraints. One has negative liberty to the extent that actions are available to one in this negative sense. Positive liberty is the possibility of acting or the fact of acting in such a way as to take control of one's life and realize one's fundamental purpose. And he would say, Isaiah Berlin says, in the United States today, in our culture, I would say even at the time of Jesus and these Jews, they are defining freedom almost exclusively as negative freedom. Don't tell me what to do. No one fences me in. I don't tie me down. I am free as long as I don't have these outward constraints against me. And the big thing they were looking for was freedom from Roman occupation. And Jesus said, that ain't freedom. Well, not full freedom. That's our biggest problem in our society today. We've got this, that negative freedom. Have you noticed how much, if you think through the big debates, right, left, and center, that we are having in our society today, it's all trying to define this negative freedom. So on one side of the issue, we've got politicians who are pushed freedom from government control of my personal lifestyle, but they want to put restraints on you know, any issues you have in terms of public health, the environment, economic equity. On the other side, we've got people who are pushing freedom from all of those kind of constraints, but then they talk about personal lifestyle choices that have to be banned or eliminated. Do you understand how this is going? Everybody, from their perspective, it wants freedom for themselves. They don't mind putting constraints on everyone else. 
because all we are understanding today is negative freedom. If freedom means just no restraints and I can do whatever I want, don't tie me down, don't fence me in, keep me free to do and don't tell me what to do, boy, do you realize how unworkable that really is? And um, now I'm really dating myself again. Um, in the book by Isaac D Dennison, Out of Africa, or the movie by Ro with Robert Redford and uh, Meryl Streep. Do you remember? Anybody watched that movie? It's kind of a classic. Did you kind of like it or not? Yeah, they're part of this beautiful scenery. But the main uh, premise, or one of them, is um, <clears throat> Baroness Bixen. Um, I, she comes to Kenya, Africa, and decides to start a coffee plantation there. And she meets kind of her match in, um, in a person named Dennis, played by Robert Redford, you know, who is a big game hunter and an adventurer. And basically, they fall in love. She, this is the love of her life. And yet, he basically says to her, don't fence me in. And as uh, I think Robert Ebert, when he uh, uh, critiqued this movie, said, Dennis wants to move his things into her house, but not move in himself. <laughs> uh, he wants uh, to have Bixen around whenever he shows up, but he wants to be free. Do you realize how your freedom and that sense of negative freedom can basically be counterproductive to you ever having a deep loving relationship with anyone or any friendships. That's why I'm kind of like looking at the younger generations. We've gotten so hyper um, focused on our, you know, we can drop anyone. We make no commitments. We're always trying to keep our options open. There are times where it's like, well, you know, this might be fun, but I don't know if I want to do that. And, and I'm playing these games all the time. You cannot have a deep friendship if you will not have some sense of commitment to the other person in your friendship. And you will never have a marriage that's worth anything if you don't limit that sense of freedom that we so want to have. And you might go like, ooh, I don't like this. Yeah, I know the C word is the hard word for us to get uh, wrap our minds around, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> still is, right? Always is. Don't fence me and don't tie me down. You'll never be able to love or to be loved if that's your only definition of freedom. Also, I think negative freedom doesn't understand the realities of the human heart. Here's an example. I mean, it's pretty common. An older man, maybe somebody my age, goes to the doctor and finds out from the doctor, hey, John, you know, he tells me, you've got some clogging of your arteries. You know, you've got some real heart disease starting. You're going to have to change your lifestyle and your diet. You're going to have to start exercising. And I respond, that's limiting my freedom. I want to live the way I want. And you think that's kind of funny, but actually, do you understand 70% of people who have had heart attacks don't follow the doctor's orders? Period. Why? Because they want to live the way they want to live. And it, that sense of our freedom is counterproductive to our own health. OK? Now, here's a real life example 
I hope I don't have too much heart disease yet. Um, but, uh, Francois Sagan, she was a French playwright, novelist, considered brilliant. She wanted to live freely, and she did. In fact, she died, I think, in 2002 from a pulmonary embolism after a life of, quote, freedom. Her one friend said after she died, she was always age 12, and she did what she wanted, like a 12-year-old would do. And doing what she wanted ended up as an adult, costing her greatly because she was addicted at times to prescription pills, amphetamines, cocaine, morphine, and alcohol, and went through one relationship after another. But she lived as she wanted. Is that freedom? Doing it my way. Yeah. My way. That song, right? I did it my way. <laughs> so... Remember Isaac Berlin, he said it this way, positive liberty is a possibility of acting or of the fact of acting in such a way as to take control of one's life and realize one's fundamental purposes. In other words, having kind of an alignment from within to become who you can be. And so that's the kind of freedom that I think Jesus is talking about. Now, he says it this way to the Jewish leaders who said, hey, wait a minute, we're already free. And he said, Jesus said, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You think you're free because you think you can control or you don't have anybody else controlling you and you just do what you want. You're in bondage to yourself. Your impish ways of being. Think of it. Now think of it. I think you've felt like I have many times. I want to do this. Or I'd like to do this, and I end up doing this. That I even look at myself and judge myself and realize, why did I do I can't believe I said that, did this. I didn't really want to. How many people have said to someone else, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't really mean that in a conversation? You're dealing with a conflict within yourself or the fact that you've got multiple desires to do different things at the same time. Any of the students who are here today want to graduate, right, soon, on time with a decent GPA, and at the same time you want to have fun in college, you want this, you want that. Those desires don't all align well together, do they? And some students have found that out already, that when you try to have all the fun you want to have, and at the same time want the grade point and the graduate, it doesn't work out. You are conflicted within yourself because the desires are all kind of chaotically swirling about. That's not freedom, then. Here's the, here's the reality. I don't know when I've come to terms with this, probably a long time ago. I'm still coming to terms with this. My greatest obstacle in my life is me. Me. I don't have to look any farther than me. I'm reading um, a book um, by Henry Nouwen that, uh, that you suggested, Richard, the, about the Desert Fathers, what, The Way of the Heart. Yeah, it's really, it's a nice little devotional book by Henry Nouwen. And um, the reason why these Desert Fathers went out to the Egyptian desert was because the biggest obstacle in their life was me. And they went out there to wrestle with that and to come to terms with the fact that they have nothing to say and nothing to do until they get that things straightened out by understanding God's grace and his truth and who Jesus is, and then they would be free. But they had to kind of get 
unplug from the world for a period of time in order to get an understanding of that. What's problematic for the people that Jesus is talking to is they are so plugged into the groupthink of their um, society as a whole. Uh, you know, it's their heritage, their traditions, it's their background. It's everything that their world is set around, and Jesus is confronting them and telling them something that doesn't quite fit into their circle of reasoning. And it scares them enough to push him away. The Bible teaches, though, and something that they somehow didn't see, even in the scriptures of the entire Old Testament, problem with that there is some sin. Is my microphone dying? Is the battery dying? It sounds like it. But um, just, just try, I'd, but maybe I just like to hear my well-modulated voice a little louder. Might be part of my problem. Um, but anyways, um, the Bible talks about this, this um, self-conflicting desire within us from the beginning after the rebellion of Adam and Eve that doesn't seem to go away. And it's not simply like sin is something, ooh, I did this little thing, or oops, that happened, or I thought this or said the wrong word at this point, my mistake, oh, my bad. No, it's something much deeper. It's not something you can dry clean off like a spot off of your clothing. It is a power that controls you. And it is so insidious that sin controls you the most when you don't realize it is. Biblical freedom, then, is not simply this negative freedom, freedom from the external controls, but freedom from my self-centeredness. A freedom, a positive freedom, where I'm created to be all that God made me to be. A freedom to love, to be loved. A freedom to serve. A freedom to be filled with his joy. A freedom to live in community. A freedom to live in harmony and relationships. That's why at Thrive, our mission statement says that we are here to bless and disciple people so that they thrive in their relationships with Jesus and others creating Christian community. It's another word of saying we want people to be fully free inside and out and to be fully who God made them. And that happens in relationship. That happens in commitments. That happens in love that God wants to wrap you up with. And it happens because Jesus himself loves us fully and frees us. I think, is it? dying out or not, and I'm sorry, Wyatt, you're probably going like, don't, don't worry about it. Okay, good, good, okay. So what does Jesus do to free us? Like I mentioned, after Adam and Eve, the history of the world has been one of a history of slavery and oppression and bondage. And there's only one, one other person after an Adam and Eve that has been truly free, and that is Jesus himself. He could do whatever he wanted. He was absolutely free. But notice what Jesus chooses to do. That's the amazing thing. He always listened to his father. He chose that freely. And he completely served others. He chose that freely. 
Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians and puts it this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't consider being God meant I can do whatever I want and get whatever I want. But instead, he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. Being God for him, being in the position of truly being free, he chose to love and to serve, and as he would say, to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, the only really free person, limits his freedom, gives up his freedom, is nailed to a cross by those who rebelled against him. You know, if, if a military campaign would bring about freedom, then Jesus would have been a greater military general than Alexander the Great. But if you noticed, Alexander the Great is not only dead, but his whole kingdom fell apart right after his death, and nothing really has lasted from that time period. And if a political solution would actually bring freedom to this world, Jesus would have been the greatest politician, greater than Lincoln, but you notice even what Lincoln tried to do, the more perfect union is not so unified anymore, and we still are struggling with it. If a social reformer could bring it about, he would be better than Martin Luther King, Gandhi, and all the others combined, but notice how we are still needing social reform all over the place in this world. If religious solutions would bring freedom, then he'd be Moses, and all the other religious leaders and set down the right rules and the right methods and the right procedures. But that's the point. Even in this text says that the law does not free you. The law cannot free you. Paul, the ultimate law keeper, the one who tried to do it all, later on discovered this in Romans 3. He says, for by the works of the law, no human will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The only thing the law can do is point out to you what you're doing wrong, that you're not doing enough, and accuse you of that. It does not empower you to actually accomplish it at all. In fact, you know that. As children, you were told to clean your room. Tell me how that worked. Right? All you wanted to do was talk back to your parents at that moment in time. So Jesus says... If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus takes on the law. Jesus takes on the rules. Jesus takes on the rebellion of this world. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Jesus becomes sin who knew no sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. He becomes the one who was free became a slave. The one who was fully righteous took on all the wrong. The one who was blameless becomes blame and shame and dishonor and guilt and death. And you see that all on the cross. And there he dies for it all. And we there die too to that whole way of thinking. We die to our own rebellious nature. In Christ, we all die at that point, And through that, a new birth comes. So that Jesus changes your identity and your status and frees you. He gives you his identity, his righteousness, his love, his mercy, his perfect record. His mind is now yours. All of these things happen through his death and resurrection. That's how he frees us within and without. 
freedom? Jesus says it this way. Any workers, any hired hands, they get kicked out of the house when the work isn't done. But you're now sons and daughters. You're permanently members of God's house. You are permanently in. There's nothing that can kick you out or change your status before God. That's what Jesus does. So how do we live into our freed identity? So you, I mentioned the fact that you've probably heard the phrase, um, the truth shall set you free. We use that a lot as if truth sets you free. It doesn't necessarily do that. Let's look at Jesus' words. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Guess what frees you? It's Jesus' word, not the truth. His word, his promises, his actions, everything who Jesus is works together. Jesus is now your identity, and that sets you free. Everything else in your life is peripheral. You are not your grade point. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You are not the work and occupation that you do. You are not your past mistakes. You are not what you think of yourself. You are not the group think that the group thinks. Do you get that? It's not what everybody else thinks of you. Although we always turn to other people and the group itself, we mimic off of other people all the time. It's time to mimic and imitate Jesus and get his mindset and be connected to him. You are the Lord's. He is your truth. He is your future. You have it all in him. There is nothing that's going to separate you from that. And no matter, even if you're not, it's like, I just can't even get that into... Don't worry. Just be in Christ. The Holy Spirit will be working on you to bring that truth, that gospel word, to bear each day. So um, among the Thrive FGUCU students, on Wednesday nights, we've been starting to, I've been handing out these little cards um, that have a little scripture verse at the front, and then basically an affirmation of what that verse says. It's kind of like the song that we sang, Who You Say I Am. We need to repeat back to God what he has already said of us. I'm his child, I'm his heir, I'm his co-heir, I'm in Christ. There is nothing in all creation that can separate me from the love of God in Christ. He says that, I'm going to believe that. And every day to just live into that mind of Christ, into what Christ has done, into who he is. That's how you live into your freed identity. Sure, it takes time. I'm going to keep growing into it all my life, and then one day, ultimately, Come, Lord Jesus. Come soon, right? We're going to be everything that he wants us to be. We're going to be his, loved, completely forgiven, absolutely glorious, beyond all glory, co-heirs with Christ of all eternity. That's what the scriptures say. And that's why Jesus says in this text, when the Son, the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for and grace in our lives. We thank you so much, Lord, that we are, can be freed, that you have freed us. 
from our bondage to our own thoughts and desires, that you will plant a new heart in us, that we have been crucified with Christ so that it is no longer we who live, but you, Lord Jesus, live through us, that we have your identity, your status, your righteousness, that we are honored to be yours. Help us to understand that true freedom is not freedom just from outward constraints, but the freedom that comes within of being yours, being forgiven, being loved, being identified with you through our baptism, Lord. We do lift up to you, Alex, today and the celebration of how he is going to be buried with you and raised to new life with you, Lord Jesus. And that is your promise that your name is going to be upon him and through this baptism, no matter what, Lord, your name will always be with him and you will always be for him. Lord, that you want him and all of us to be disciples that are taught, have been baptized and are taught and growing, Lord, and that you will bring about what you have begun in us, what what you are doing in Alex, that you're going to bring it to completion one day in glory when we see you face to face. We thank you for that. We lift up to you, O Lord, our ministry. We lift up to you our campus ministry, our outreach to the campus. We ask you would be with us through all these things, Lord, that you would guide the future that we have here at Thrive. You know, we've gathered another group together for some strategic planning. We're looking toward that future, Lord God. We ask and we lay before you the property that is um, over by FGCU. We ask that your will is done on that property. We ask, O Lord, that you would provide um, the way. We know, Lord, that when you do miracles, you are the unstoppable God, as we sang this morning. You took five loaves and two fish and fed thousands. You can take the little that we are and do amazing, exceeding abundantly beyond all we can even ask or imagine, Lord. That's what you can do, and we pray that you would. We pray, Lord, as we move on towards communion today, that you would just fill us with the deep sense of your identity, that as you come to us, Lord Jesus, as you give us your very self with this bread and wine, we ask, Lord God, that we, that we would just hold on to that identity that we have in you, that you are flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone, that you are one with us, that we are in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are new creations. And that we live into that reality, Lord, and that identity. So bless that time, Lord. We pray, Lord, too, as we uh, move on to more worship here at Thrive and to a time of giving of our tithes and offerings, that you would bless this giving, Lord, that you would work as you did in the widow's mites, where she gave two small copper coins, but she gave herself, Lord, that we, in whatever we give today, give ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing. Help us to, uh, to grasp that, the identity we have in you, Lord, that is a given, deeper than anything else that we could ha- ever have in this life, so that we more glorify you and serve others, that th- we at Thrive can truly thrive in a relationship with you and others. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.